listening to the Taming Hinges podcast. Conversations about self-awareness and mental health. We talk about anything and everything on the podcast. Real experiences, real life. Come get triggered. Welcome to another episode of the Taming Hindrances podcast. My name's Phil. I'm the host and creator of the podcast. And today's topic is humanity. Um, you know, this podcast is about self-awareness and mental health and changing the connotation on depression from having a negative sense to just not having a sense, just no connotation. Take things from a perspective where there is no connotation so that we can better understand them and we can better have or have better conversations about these things. And I think... I've gotten to the point with this idea, or at least in my own life, where the contemplation of the idea of humanity is something we've, we've lost. We've, we've lost the necessity to understand how we want to define humanity. And as I've done with many other podcast episodes, I'm going to start with the definition. We're going to start with Merriam-Webster's dictionaries definition of humanity. And I'm going to go through a couple of them because it, it, humanity is a noun and there's a couple different ideas here that uh, the dictionary defines. So let's start with uh, what Merriam-Webster's dictionary considers the essential meaning of humanity. And that's obviously the quality or state of being human. You know, that's humanity is to be human. And that in and of itself is enough of a complexity to try to delve into that full disclosure up front, this podcast is not going to, we're not going to focus on the great parts of humanity and all the, you know, things. Yeah, I'm sure I'll get into some of the amazing things we've come up with, but before I get into, you know, those things, there's a lot of, there's a lot of crap. There's a lot of BS behind humanity. There's a lot of terrible things we've done. And so I'm not going to focus on the great. So, you know, let's step a little further here. Uh, again, another essential meaning of humanity, to, uh, according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, the quality or state of being kind to other people or to animals. I don't agree with that definition. I think that's what we'd like. That's a that's not a definition of humanity. That is a wanted outcome for what we want to define ourselves as. And I think this is where I depart from what these definitions are really going to kind of show, or I'm going to call out the definition here um, for kind of showing things that aren't true or possible, but not true. So let's, let's step into the, the full definition of humanity as per Merriam-Webster's dictionary, compassionate, sympathetic, or generous behavior or disposition, the quality or state of being humane. So we'll step further because the word humanity does come from the word of humane and to be humane is, you know, to be compassionate, to be sympathetic, you know, to have consideration for others, be them animal or human or, you know, but the idea of humans, I wouldn't necessarily say humans are humane. We have the ability to be, but this is where I, one definition said I disagree with. So going back to um, that idea of that, it's the quality of state of being human. That's what humanity is. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Now, humanity also comes from the idea of the humanities, 
which are a, a, that's a branch of philosophy, you know, the arts, languages. Um, it's, it's an investigation into the human construct. Well, that's what I'm here to argue. I'm here to argue that we, as a organization, a collective idea, have tried to define humanity as something in a connotation of a positive light. Because deep down, I think most people want to be that. I think they want to be sympathetic. They want to be compassionate. They want to be good people. Almost all religious schools or philosophies, uh, even the metaphysics, they're all on this ordeal of, or at least an ordered sense, that we want to be good. We want to be better maybe, or, you know, we want to be these things. We want to be in the light of divinity, you know, to divine things, uh, divinity being the measurement of the future based on what we've decided was from the past. Um, we want to, as a human collective or culture or species known as humanity, we want to be good. We want to be compassionate, sympathetic, all these different things. And I don't think we necessarily are. I don't, I don't think the species that we call human is necessarily that we have the capacity for it. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's selfless acts out there. There's people who've spent their entire lives, you know, studying the human condition and what it means to be human. And how definitions work, or at least how balance works, as I've spoken before in this podcast, is balance is the idea of having two sides of the same coin. So if we use humanity or just, you know, the idea of humans as the coin itself, we have to take both sides of that. And at this point in our history, you know, in the, in the 2020s, um, even if that's the real you know, that's the number we agree upon that the year we're in, but who knows, you know, what's our actual history. Cause it's all been so manipulated and lost to bad recording. And, you know, the fact that we didn't, you know, archeology span is changing and geography is changing. All these things are continually changing. We keep discovering new things until we stop discovering things. We can't really have a full definition that accurately describes the human species or the inhabitants of earth that are of the species known as homo sapien, if you know, that's what you want to call us nowadays. So if humans are the coin, what are the two sides to it? What are the balancing structures that, you know, create humanity? Well, it's not just compassion and, and sympathy. It's the opposites to those because the measurement thereof is defined by the opposite. To be compassionate, you have to not be compassionate. To be sympathetic, you have to not be sympathetic. You know, our definition of evil creates our understanding of good. What we like to think of as good creates the definition for evil or our, our judgment upon it. And there is an absolute thing known as evil. Like, you know, you can be a terrible fucking person. That's possible it doesn't necessarily mean we're all not, you know, what is normal? Who's normal? Nothing's normal. There is no such thing as normal to be normal. You have to be the average of 
what would be considered supernatural. And we don't understand the supernatural very well. It's not something we delve into. It's a taboo subject. Don't talk about the supernatural. That's not cool. And the only realm in which we do talk about the supernatural is when we talk about, you know, God or religions or those other powers out there that we don't quite understand. We just, we give a, a divine nature to it. Ooh, don't challenge that. That's not a good idea. Well, that's bullshit. It's just bullshit. It's bullshit to think that we get to define what we are because we don't have a reference point for that. The dog or the cat can't tell us, you know, they sort of do when you look, you know, if you beat an animal, you're a piece of shit. So the pain and suffering that that animal goes through to the, you know, individuals who do that to animals, that's the judgment point. That animal suffered because of choices those people made, which makes them bad people, bad humans, you know, just because you have the power to elicit a suffering response in another creature doesn't mean you should take it. And I think this gets into some of my, my deep seated issues with humanity as a whole. And it's why I have trust issues and it's why, and I think others would agree upon this, that most people don't believe humanity's good. We just don't because we haven't seen that. I haven't seen more selfless acts and more good acts than I've seen bad acts. And yeah, okay. There's a spin on it from, you know, the media and there's a spin on it from my own judgment point of, yeah, I generally don't think humanity deserves to continue down the route it's taking because it leads to more violence and it leads to more suffering. And, Oh, you know, I've said before how, you know, the Buddha said life is suffering and you should choose how you suffer. There is just some general correlation here that from the philosophical standpoints, from the metaphysics standpoints, from the stoic, whatever school you want to pick, from the, even the religious standpoints, it all starts with an idea that we are flawed and we're not good by nature. Um, two pieces of, or, or I should say two viewpoints on this that I like to reference and I think other people can get a lot out of are uh, Thomas Hobbes and um, Thomas Paine. So Thomas Paine wrote Common Sense and Thomas Hobbes wrote The Leviathan. Um, and in my eyes, the room is kind of written towards each other because these two individuals have very different viewpoints on humanity as a whole. Thomas Paine likes to think that humans are generally good natured and when given a proper education and, you know, using morals and ethics, common sense will generally do the right thing to do good. Whereas Thomas Hobbes writing Leviathan generally believes all humanity is violent and without some sort of collective control structure will just be violent and will be bad people. That's just how they're designed to be. And obviously, you know, there's always, there's a balance in there. there there's going to be some middle ground. And I think the middle ground to this is people are tribal. And the tribal nature of humanity is maybe genetically present, is, is somehow built into how our minds work. You know, race, creed, color, whatever you want to call it, these separation points that we are so, so welcoming of. We love to welcome in these separation points of, oh, this person's different to me. 
Got to watch out for them. Their skin color is different. I got to watch out for that. You know, they're somehow different than me because of a fucking genetical coding piece that changes the melatonin use in their body to create a skin tone that's different. It's because we don't understand these things. We don't look into these things. No one gives a shit when you teach them that. They don't care. They don't look at it. And I get that I'm being harsh here, but I think it's time to be harsh. I think it's time for us to look at humanity as a whole and realize, no, on the connotation spectrum, we are not wholly good. We do more harm than we do good in almost every respect. And it continues to go down this route because the individual has lost power to the group. That's the answer to me, is that in the world of tribal nature, we have given our collective response that. We've given it a collective response. We no longer give it a personal response. The tribe doesn't go against the tribe if they feel that's the necessary thing to do. The tribe just goes along with the tribe. And we've done that for so long now. We've done a mass amount of harm. Specifically in the United States of America, the political structures just wholly in the idea of two political parties is such a detriment to humanity as a whole. It's, it's unbelievable the, to the 330 or 350 million inhabitants of, or estimated inhabitants of the United States of America, the two party system is crushing and it has been crushing and will continue to be crushing until we figure out not to do that until we get rid of what's called the primaries and move on from that idea. Because it's a, it's two collectives working in tangent with each other on what's considered to be a balanced structure, which is not bipartisan versus partisan and all that bullshit. It's just two individual tribes trying to lead 330 to 350 million people. Million. That's crazy. In a world of six to seven billion. I don't think some people understand how big these numbers are. These are gigantic numbers, right? Gigantic. That's nine zeros. Nine in front of the billion. Hundreds, thousands, millions. Millions. 330 million. That's a lot of people to be run from two perspectives. Oh, but you know, there's conservatives and... No, it's still just two parties. No two-party system has ever worked, ever, in the history of humanity. So that's a thing. There's this thing called the history of humanity. And we don't listen to it. We don't look at it. Because we don't want to think that we're the same as our ancestors. We don't want to think that we're, you know, just like the Roman Empire, crushing other cultures. And, you know, just because we had... No, don't get me wrong. I've studied the Roman Empire. They're an amazing military force. Not only that, but they're a self-organizing collective that somehow creates one of the biggest, most modern societies of cultural import in most history. Or the Egyptians, or you know, the Chinese, Japanese, all of these different ancient cultures that created in the world of antiquity these big, huge, broad ideas of what it was to be human civilization. And, you know, we can look at that word civilization, you know, the idea of being civil, the collection of civil ordinance. Well, you know, that's another thing. We define most of these ideas by these grand schemes of what we want to be. I generally think, yes, humanity does want to be 
good or better, to do good, to be well, well off really. But at what cost? At what cost are we living our lives? At what cost are we educating individuals? At what cost are we printing trillions of fucking dollars? There's another giant freaking number. Was it three, six, nine, twelve? Twelve zeros in front of that number. It's gigantic. So at what cost is humanity trying to be humanity? And are we really trying to be human? Are we trying to be humane? I don't I don't think we are anymore. I think we've lost that idea because we've just we've just corrupted it like we've corrupted everything else. And there is this idea of true corruption. You know, true power corrupts ultimately, like the, that type of terminology. And philosophy has warned us about it. Metaphysics have warned about it. Even religions have warned us about it. And we just don't listen. Because the structures that are in place that give us this knowledge are by nature corrupt. They have corrupted themselves. They have coerced themselves. This is what happened with the idea of the the advantage point of the mystery schools themselves. There was this idea in antiquity that not everyone deserved to be initiated into the mystery schools or to be initiated into the ways of thinking and thought and understanding that it somehow behooved everyone that only some may be intelligent or be taught how to be intelligent or to define intelligence. Cause that's what humanity does constantly. We always are constantly defining things and we're defining them by our own perspective, by our own nature. And this is why I so adamantly believe we should not be acting as a collective. We should be acting to be a civilization. Yes. But the individual must take precedence. The individual must manage themselves. Um, I've talked before about how to be a good employee and I think a little bit about how to be a good manager, but here's something that no one's ever going to teach you because the corporate structure is designed to have management. Well, that's to necessitate management and management isn't necessary. The only time management is necessary is when the individual cannot manage themselves. If you never want to be managed, learn how to manage yourself because it starts as an individual and then you add collective to it. We all start as individuals. That's where we start. And then we are added to a collective. And oftentimes that idea is what we tout as humanity, humanity as a whole, as a collective, as a civilization, as an organization, as a thought, as a, as a want need for manifest destiny and, and, you know, religious freedom and belief and freedoms and liberties and all this other stuff is talked about at the group level. Well, in reality, those groups can't exist unless there's individuals. And so we often lose the individual. And I think that's what we've done in the mental health space. We've lost the idea of, of the individual because we so wholly want for individuals to live in society, to be a part of society. When in reality, that's not, that's not possible. It is not possible for everyone to get along with everyone else. That's the idea of tribal nature. That's the idea of people being individuals. So yes, 
you're going to rub somebody the wrong way. I'm going to piss people off. You're going to piss people off. Some, you're, not all of us are going to get along. And that's totally fine because we don't have to. We have to stop telling everyone as this human collective that, oh, we all have to get along. No, we just have to work together. There's a massive difference there. There's a massive difference between getting along and working together. We should absolutely work together for everyone to have the same rights to have the same freedoms, to have the same liberties, to come from a, a place of prosperity because everyone deserves to prosper if possible, but to have the same ability and to have the, or not ability, but what, what are the words I'm looking for here? I get a little heated. I apologize. I'm getting get a little uppity. I like to remain stoic, but I think this is a, this idea of humanity is a, it's just a, it's a coerced and bullshit topic that we really got to wrap our heads around better to get a better understanding of ourselves. Are you human? Are you? And I'll get into that in a minute. But everyone deserves to have possibility. That is the idea of, you know, humans. We're a possibility. Even if you look at it from an evolutionary standpoint, if that's what you believe in, if you truly believe in evolution and how evolution works, and I'm not saying I don't, but if that if you like science and evolution and these things... Or even if you, you look at it from a, a religious perspective of, you know, we're uh, made in the image of God or uh, we are to do a will of an entity or whatever your beliefs may be. And I, I really honestly, when I say I don't care, I don't care what your beliefs are because they're yours. I'm not here to judge you upon them or, you know, if I don't believe in your beliefs, but I like you as a person, great. If I don't like you as a person, I don't believe in your beliefs. I'm still not going to attack you for them. That's stupid. That's not a great way to be. That's So if we are to believe that even through evolution, we are a possibility. Because that's, I mean, that's from conception alone, the sperm getting to the egg. What? I don't even know what the number is, but it's thousands of possibilities. That, that's going to be the one create a human. We're just, we're just a set of possibilities, genetic codes, just probability, possibility. That's all it is. So if we were to say humanity is a possibility, so we should have possibilities and that's really a good, you know, collective ideas. Everyone should have possibilities then. Okay. That's a little bit better of a perspective, I think. So if that idea to manifest the idea of possibilities. If we should all come from that point, we have to understand that not everyone's going to agree because not all possibilities are going to get along. Now, does that mean we should be a warring culture? No, because war is not a sustainable idea unless we come to the conclusion that war is humanity, that humans war. We invented it. We created it. To the, to the respect that there is no balance in our eyes. When it comes to war, there's no balance. If you look at any cultural civilization throughout history, the reason war was fought was over resources and disagreements that are unreconcilable. So it's two major factors of war, unreconcilable beliefs 
be that be them what they will or necessity for resources and military might at that point. And we do it at a level we don't really understand. The bully on the schoolyard is waging war on other individuals, you know, stealing milk money. Or, you know, I, I know these are childish ideas, but that's an idea of war. And as a marshalist, someone who has extensively looked at the mentality thereof of war, all war is a simulation in the mind. That's where it starts. Sun Chu, you know, the art of war, uh, Miyasashi's five rings, uh, Caesar's meditations, even some of Marcus Aurelius's meditations, specifically Caesar, if you want to go look at what Caesar wrote about, what he writes about war. It's an exercise of the mind. The Roman Empire, almost all the Roman emperors, although I guess um, Caesar's son, um, Commodus, wasn't really a great example because he was the first individual who, for those of you who don't know, there were seven Roman empires up to Caesar, seven or eight, I don't, I always get the number wrong. Uh, and then Caesar was the first emperor of Rome to have a son that he appointed a success, successor to Rome, to rule Rome. That was the first time it ever happened. And that's when it all went to shit and it collapsed. Um, but all Roman emperors, and even if we look at like um, Greek philosophers, they write about it as well. There is an astute idea of having war as a simulation in the mind and a process of using that idea to be better minded, to be sharper, to be stronger, to, and it's, it, it follows us throughout history. Uh, look at the, uh, the three, um, three empire situation in Chinese history. Um, the war of the three kingdoms. That's what I'm thinking of. The War of the Three Kingdoms is a, a violent time in Chinese history. And it's, you know, it's echoed just like, you know, the Roman Empire echoed its control of the Mediterranean, essentially. And then it, it, it's, it's a, just a, it's a repeat process over and over again, this idea of warfare. Um, the, uh, in the Japanese history, there's the whole idea of the unification of Japan um, in the Edo period where multiple families, multiple houses of import fought to control Japan. It's the warring states period. Sorry. Keep forgetting what these are called. It's the warring state period in Japan and um, the three kingdoms period in uh, Chinese history. But even if we go to like the Silk Road as an idea, if we step into the Ottoman Empire, the Ottoman Empire waged war across the Silk Road for dominance, uh, and they did so more economically than they did politically. The Ottoman Empire ruled over what was pretty much the opium and silver trade, um, and they did that with an iron fist, but they did it economically, and that was a, a idea of warfare. We've coerced other things into this idea of warfare. So maybe humanity is just a warring culture. And even though I speak out against warfare, because it's fucking horrific, maybe that's what we are. But that's not what we want to be. That's not how we define ourselves. That's not the way we look at ourselves. We want to be better. We want to be cultured and uh, have civilization and everyone have prosperity. And the questions we have to ask ourselves are, are we lying to ourselves? Is that what we're doing? 
And how do we take this idea of humanity and echo it into mental health, into self-awareness? I, I think the way we do that is the individual must wage war on the group, on the collective. I think it's time for that. I think it's time for the individual to become an individual again. Stop being a collective. You're not a Democrat. You're not a Republican. Those are just belief structures. Just because you want to you be included, you want to feel inclusive, doesn't mean you should be all in for a party that doesn't have everyone's best interests in mind. It's just a partisan. It's just a, it's just a separation. Same thing goes for, you know, liberals and all these other, you know, conservatives. Just because you want to throw your hat in the ring and feel a part of a group doesn't mean that should define who you are. What resonates with you? You know, if we want to look at resonance and we want to look at the other, what is the other, all these other pieces, you know, like do aliens exist? What are UFOs? Uh, do you like divination, tarot, um, radiostesia, which is the use of a pendulum, um, rune casting, channeling, general spiritual healing, um, ayahuasca, psilocybin for, you know, using medicinal or herbs for, um, altered states of consciousness, altered states of consciousness is a idea. Um, all of these different, all these other things, or, you know, just deep religious practices. Like, um, I don't remember the name of it, but there's a sitting meditation in the Judaic faith where, uh, an individual will sit and meditate on the name of God and rock back and forth. And, you know, that creates an altered state of consciousness. A meditation in general, these ideas, these are the ideas of what resonates with you. What do you define as being human or being your own human? I think the danger of humanity is we've lost what it is to be an individual human, how to act. We, we often look at the idea of civilization. Oh, okay. We should be nice and we should hold the door for someone. And we should be polite. And these are the ideas of civilization and they are correct ideas. Don't get me wrong there. Absolutely. Go look at the, you know, the philosophical studies of morals and ethics. Those are necessary for civilization to exist, for us to continue having civilization. But when the individual is included in that conversation, and it's just the collective, which is what we've done at this point, we've become China, Japan, the EU, United States of America, we've become, you know, South America, Brazil, Africa, South Africa, you know, we've become collectives as continents and cultures. And then we broke it down slightly into, you know, subcultures and classes, but we never get down to the individual. It's this weird thing where we like, we separate things out as finely as we can. We get, you know, we get the big screen out and we separate a couple things and then we get a finer sieve out and we separate some more. And then we get all the way down to like the cheesecloth, but we never get down to the individual grain of sand. We just refer back to, the ocean of sand, the desert. You know, we never take the individual droplet of water out of the ocean. We just reference the ocean at that point. We don't, we don't get to that individual state, but we are very good at separating things out into small groups. 
which is a collective idea. I think that's where a lot of things go wrong. When we collectively organize the group into subcategories, we are the group defining the individual. And that's where we're at. That's where we've come to in the 2020s, the beginning of the 2020s, as a culture of humanity, we've allowed the groups or the group as a whole to collectively define the individual. You are this, or you are that. You are a Democrat, you're a Republican, you're a Chinese, you're Japanese, you're uh, white, you're black, you're, you know, brown, you're yellow, you're green, you're not, a, you know, you're this, you're that. We get, we get it all, you know, defined down to these small pieces and we've separated everyone out as much as possible, but we've done it from a group, group collective. That is the first effect of war. Anyone who wants to wage a war first defines the subject. They define who they're about to war against. And you define it by, to, the, to the minutest level. You break it down as much as possible. Coming from a martialist standpoint and my, my background of you know martial arts and then becoming a martialist and learning about warfare and learning about how to fight mentally first, when an individual sizes up an opponent and really sizes up an opponent, like really, you know, in a, in a fight, a, a sanctioned fight, you know, in the octagon or in a, in a um, boxing match or a, a um, Grand Prix match, um, Muay Thai match, any of these, you know, to even just a wrestling match, like Olympic wrestling or anything like that. When that individual sizes up the opponent, it's in an environment. And that environment is, is important because, yes, the UFC is it's a violent world and these are good fighters. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not going to go out and fight a UFC fighter, but I'm going to kick my ass. But that's a different sizing up. That's a different exchange. The reality of that exchange happens way beforehand. It happens what we don't what we don't necessarily see. It's an individual training. And some of that training involves watching footage of their opponent fighting other people. We don't see, we don't think about that or see that a lot, that big bouts, you know, the trainer, the individual might not do like the fight, like Tyson, Mike Tyson, great fighter, awesome boxer, amazing boxer. Evander Holyfield, you know, you can put all these names out there. I'm not great with the names, but those individuals who fought at that level, at that prestigious level of like the best of the best, where about might be scheduled six months in advance, a year in advance, their trainer, best you believe, spent time watching footage of the fighter that, you know, might not be the fighter because maybe that wasn't their strong suit. Maybe, you know, I've never, I, I've, well, I've trained fighters and I can tell you from that perspective, I was the one who would have to watch like, oh, okay, like this is, but I didn't do it specifically because I didn't train fighters to fight individual fights. I trained fighters to fight other systems, essentially. That was what I was good at. So I knew how to look at a Muay Thai fighter 
and teach them how to fight a boxer or teach them how to fight a wrestler or because I knew systems, I trained systems. So from that perspective, it was my job to look at footage or understanding of, and in that vein of things, that would be a trainer's idea to take someone like a Vander Holyfield or a Mike Tyson or, um, you know, BJ Penn or any of the, uh, whatever Tim, uh, Sylvia or any of these other names that fight at this high level. Um, and watch the footage of the fighter they're going to fight, but it's all prep ahead of time that we never see. That's what I, you know, when I, so when I talk about actually sizing someone up on the moment in the spot, there's a, there's a, a, a great amount of things that happen in the martial mind in the warfare mind. Uh, Miyasashi in the book of five rings talks about this. You break as much apart as possible. What foot are they leading with? Where are their eyes going? How do their shoulders look? What's their body posture? Are they, do they look nervous? Do they look collective? Do they look, how can I break them off of balance? How can I, there's just a rampant amount of information that just, just starts running through the mind because it's all a simulation ahead of time. And part of that simulation is to break people apart as much as possible and then find the weaknesses because that's how you win. You find the weaknesses and then you exploit them. That's what the collective of humanity does to the individual. It breaks it apart as much as possible to make the individual feel unnecessary to then exploit all the weaknesses possible to keep them from being an individual and keep them part of the collective. And I'm here to say that that shit's got to end. And the only way that ends is for you to start thinking on your own and to start being an individual and not instantly partaking in being a part of the collective. If you want to be a social person and you want to be a part of civilization in the collective, that's totally fine. I'm not saying that we shouldn't continue to work together. I'm saying that we don't all have to get along because we get to be our own individuals. Does that mean we have to go to war over it? No, we need to evolve as a species and understand that irreconcilable differences can just be left irreconcilable and that we don't need it. We have a big enough planet. We really do. We have a big enough planet. There's enough resources. If we figure out how to fucking share a little bit and to figure out how to be, you know, a collective that understands this can all work in efficiencies. If we work together, and instead of fighting wars, take all of that resource. Think about the amount of money. Let me just put it this way. Okay, so I talked about how millions and billions, all these zeros. If you took all the zeros in front of a number that we've spent on warfare, and I mean go all the way back, go all the way back to antiquity, all the wars, all the energy of expansion, all the financial expansion, all of it, everything we've put out there, the expenditure of, of, of life, of blood, of sweat, of tears, of energy, the expenditure of humans, fiscally, non-fiscally, all of it. If we would have put all of that into prospering as a species as a collective, as a group to make sure everyone got a fair share, got a fair shake, got a fair opportunity, possibility. 
we'd probably by this point at least built a I don't know either a massive amazing civilization or colonized other planets or colonized the moon maybe we would we would have figured that out but like oh yeah this place is getting a little crowded or hey you know we could use some better resort places let's show you the moon you know or let's build a a a, a star faring culture we would have figured it out we could have we we definitely absolutely could have figured figured that out if we just would stop blowing each other up and do I mean that we you know we should lose our culture and we should lose no no remember the individual the individual gets to be an individual if the individual doesn't get to be like oh you know what I think I'm more important than you I'm gonna kill you that's that's not there's no rational explanation for someone who decides to do that you've removed yourself from being human at that point because we define humanity as being compassionate and sympathetic. We have an understanding of what we want to be. So if you remove yourself from that, you're removing yourself from the species because that's the definition we've given it. Just like we give ourselves a definition of intelligence. I don't think humanity is intelligent because we have no reference. Our reference are these animals that we collect as pets and or go sightseeing and look at from afar that's a poor reference because they can't talk to us. And if they can, we haven't developed the ability to understand them. So our translation point is mute because we can't even understand each other. Our translation of different, you know, languages is terrible. We get, we have mistranslations all the fucking time, all the time, just in the idea of a different cultural civilization from antiquity to today, we've spent no time. We've spent time on learning translation and, and you know, learning other people's languages, but we've never created a collective language. That's why I quote Merriam-Webster's dictionary because it's it's an offshoot dictionaries. I used Merriam-Webster's because I like the f- format of it. But if you look at the history of the Oxford Dictionary, it, very interesting story actually. Um, I believe they did a movie about it recently. Uh, who was in that? I can't remember. But um, there is a movie about how the Oxford Dictionary came about. It's an interesting story. But essentially, these idea of dictionaries and collections of language in the, these things, the reason I, I lean towards that is because it's it's possibly the most human thing we do. So we try to understand. And not only that, we try to understand each other because that's part of the human condition is we need a reflection of understanding others to understand ourselves. We need the mirror. And I think that's a huge part of self-awareness and mental health is when you learn that you need the collective to understand yourself because without a collective, you can't be an individual. And if you can't be an individual, you can't look at the mirror yourself and use that reflection, the reflection of you to really understand who you are. Because your physical body is just a collection of organisms, cells, and all these other bacteria and all this other stuff doing a collective response to make a physical form that you can, you know, use your senses and, and be in control of. When in reality, you're just a consciousness, which is expressing thought because thought is a 
a tool of consciousness. That's why we have a stream of consciousness known as a stream of thought that is an individual who controls a collective known as the human body, but also has an ability to decipher a whole bunch of information from your senses to your mind space where we translate in between, you know, if we're talking about the alchemical health bodies of physical mind and, and other or spiritual has a translation point there. All of these things we've understood in antiquity, we've just kind of, we've thrown away in, in respect to the collective. And that was, that was okay for a while, but it's not okay anymore because we've corrupted it and it's become coerced. The idea of creating civilizations was good. People prospered from that. That created opportunity and it created places for people to live and to have community and to, to be better. Cause that's, you know, honestly, isn't that what humanity is trying to define itself as being better? It was trying to be better and to be better. We need to understand that we've out, we've outdone that idea because we've turned it into something that it, it was never supposed to be. It was never supposed to be some leading the many or the few leading the many. It was never supposed to be, it was never supposed to be about the few because that's what it's become. Economics and political structures have, as have corrupted themselves into being all about the one or some really all about the sum and not about the all. We completely have it within our means to not only have people of import that want to be important, but to take care of those who we don't see that way. We absolutely have that ability completely. How we go about it is a problem because we can't, we can't come to a conclusive idea. We've failed at coming up with how to do that. American in and of itself was supposed to be that research. We were supposed to figure out how to self-govern. That was our entire idea of manifest destiny. The entire idea of leaving the British empire and creating a new civilization on a different continent was to come up with this idea of how do we self-regulate how do we self-govern? And we turned that into how do we control? We turned the idea of self-governance into an oligarchy, into people that believe themselves more important than others, ruling over everyone else. The Senate, the presidency, the House, there are some who are there to represent others. There are a lot more that are there to rule others that think themselves more important than others. Even in the way they speak, you can hear it, that they think they're more important than you because you elected them to be their representative. They don't think they serve you in any way. They think you've given them your voice. And that's how, I mean, I'm using, I'm shitting on the USA. Let's go to some other countries. All right. The CCP in China doesn't even believe other people have a voice, that they are the only voice. And just by saying that they wouldn't probably let me in their country. They'd be like, Oh, he talked against the CCP. Don't let him in the country. We should kill him speaking against us. 
that's how crazy that becomes. And that all goes down to the CCP is ruled by the Han Chinese, which is one subset, one piece of the populace of the Chinese people, which pisses me off when people lump the Chinese people in with the CCP. Completely different. The Communist Party of China, or uh, China's Communist Party, CCP, does not represent the whole of China. The Chinese people's history is so intricately defined in a wealth of historical ideas and, and just culture that it's unbelievable that somehow the world has agreed that the CCP is a representation of that. It's not. It's a representation of the Han people. And the Han people believe they were born to be the golden emperor's representation to rule all of China. And beyond that, they are divinely created to be the rulers of the world. That's what they believe as a people that is deeply rooted in the Han people of China's belief structures, that they themselves as a, as, as Han people are divinely righted to rule over the whole world. That's their belief structure. That's where the CCP comes from. That's who Mao was. That's who Xi Jinping is. Xiao Feng, I think it was in there somewhere, but that's, that's what they believe. So that's how they're going to act. And they're going to do it in a long game because they believe they're the Jade empires that get a, that get a rule. That's the idea, but that's not a representation of the Chinese people. It's the collective ruling over the people. Japan fought that tooth and nail. That, and oddly enough, the Japanese people have come to a conclusion that they are Japanese and that there are some things that are just wholly Japanese. But in that, they still held on to, somehow, I'm not really sure how, it's a complicated structure. The Japanese people still somehow held on to the individual, which is why I, I really like the Japanese culture. I don't agree with all of it, because I'm not Japanese, I don't completely understand it, but even in their martial arts disciplines, there is this specific idea of an individual being Japanese, not the Japanese being the Japanese. You are Japanese. You're not the Japanese. It, it's an interesting idea that you get with nationalism because the Japanese are, are a nationalist society. Koreans, in some way, are, the, are very similar, but the Koreans are very welcoming to outside forces. Um, yeah, it, it's just... And then there's other cultures like uh, the whole continent of India, which is a whole mess of different... of, You know, we like to see, oh, like Indians. There is a whole differentiation structure of the Indian continent and subcontinent of just like all these different amalgamations of belief structures and languages. Oh, there's a ton of different languages and dialects. And the only way I can describe that is if in, in Europe, specifically in the UK, how there are so many different, um, everyone mostly speaks English or UK English, but there are so many different um, dialects. Well, not really. Well, yeah, I guess dialects would be a correct terminology there, but um, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think of it. Anyway, it'll come to me. But there are, are these 
different ways of speaking um, accents. There we go. In the UK, like you can go 10 miles and find a different accent. Think about that as like in India, like a whole, almost like a whole different language will pop up. Just like, oh yeah, there's a whole subset here and there. And like you have Northern Indian, Southern Indian, there's a bunch of, there's a huge differentiation there. Even in like these cultural ideas, there's these differentiations. But to, again, go back to the idea of humanity and how we define these things, it's always from the collective perspective. We got to stop doing that. We definitely have to stop doing that. It just doesn't make any sense anymore. I mean, it did when we were building civilizations and now we have built civilizations, but now they're crumbling because they're going to fall apart because we're going to wage war again. Everything we're doing right now leads to warfare. In fact, I would argue the fact that we've been in a state of war. Uh, I mean, almost for the last hundred years in some fashion, you can say, oh, there's Cold War. And the humanity as a whole has been waging war forever. And we never stop because we think it's the right thing to do for some reason. We think because we can't fathom an idea of how to get along that we should just force people to do that. Well, that's the collective, not the individual. If all the individuals in the world were like, no, I don't, I don't think we should fight. I don't, I don't believe in warfare. Then we wouldn't do it because you wouldn't be able to get the soldier onto the battlefield. Instead, you would just get one asshole with a tank and then the collective would come together and be like, uh, yeah, we don't agree with, um, that individual with the tank and we should probably stop them. That's like, this might piss some people off, but Hitler's power came from the people. He was just a visionary person with a shitty vision. Don't get me wrong. His power was the power of speech to get people to persuade people to agree with him, to then give them his, their voice to amplify his. And he did so, so irreverently that he created an entire world war. I know there's a lot of other social political things that went into that, but Stalin is another example. There are these historical figures that we can look at that coerced people into giving up their voice and adding it to that person's in order to project a immense figure. Religions do this. The idea of the prophets in the Abrahamic religions. That's just, I'm not saying you don't get to believe in them. Absolutely. Islam believes their prophet was the right one. Christians believe theirs. Uh, Judaism really doesn't believe in a prophet, but they believe in Abraham and his line of succession. So it's constant over the last, I'm going to say probably 2000 plus years that the individual has added their voice to the collective and then been stripped of that voice. At first, I don't think it was that way. At first, I think the adding your voice to a collective was your vote. 
It was, yeah, I want to build a civilization. I want to build this world of community. And, you know, we want to, like the Egyptians wanted to build a center of trade and immersion and, and collectiveness built around the Nile and how its functions of flooding and not flooding and all that stuff worked. And then that was, you know, the first pharaohs, that was their vision. That's how it worked. And then eventually that got coerced and they took the collective's voice away. Well, they took the individual's voice away and they added the collective. And then that civilization devolved. The Roman Empire. The Roman emperors came together and they created the Senate. And the Senate had this idea that, okay, yeah, we want to create these places of commerce and wealth and, and you know, idea of people to have possibilities and be, to possibly be prosperous, to have opportunity. And we'll, we'll build these civilization places. And then eventually that got coerced into one individual's ideas. Bloom, Alexander, you know, all of these different, you know, rulers throughout antiquity, all of them. It's just, it, it's common. When the masses, when the individuals give their voice to an individual, we fail every time. We have failed every time. Every civilization in which the individuals gave their voice to an, to a collective and that collective became more just some instead of all, the civilization failed time and time again. Even inside of civilizations themselves, city-states and, and, and these ideas, political part, they've all just failed. The German people gave their voice to Hitler. And then his voice was wrong and it failed. And by doing so, set back the German people an immeasurable amount. But the lives lost, the families destroyed. You know, people like to think like, oh, well, you know, economically they came out and Germany became a superpower again economically. Could they have not done that had that not happened though? totally possible. Like we, you know, yes, I'm all for creation and destruction. Chaos begets order. I'm all for those things, but we don't need such giant swings of it. Cause that's the measure of humanity. Humanity has just continued to find bigger and bigger measurements. Cause we like bigger numbers. We like more destruction. We love it. Oh man. Humanity as a whole has really gotten on board with liking this idea of warfare and destruction because it gives possibility. It brings rise to opportunity. Well, we can learn to destroy things and control chaos a little bit. We can do that. That's absolutely possible. That's the idea of the tribal nature. Pagans were great at this, by the way. I'm not talking about like Viking. I'm talking about the pagan communities. Very early idea of civilization. One of the best was the Druidic cultures of Scotland and Ireland they learned to harmoniously destroy in order for there to be a possibility of creation. The American Indians did similar ideas. A lot of the ancient cultures in their roots, when building the first set of civilizations, understood this idea that you could destroy some things in order to create others, but it didn't need to be a complete destruction of 
the civilization. It didn't need to be a complete destruction of the ways of living. That wasn't necessary. The political structure of the United States of America is all about one side wanting to destroy the other. They think they have the right to rule. They think their voice is somehow the right voice. That is fucking preposterous. That is so unbelievably unfathomable that if you believe that, you don't even deserve the right to have any control over anything. Because we've done that in the past. We've given it to these leaders and we've given our voices up and they've just fucked it up time and time again because they don't understand that you are representation of individuals. And to think that your thought process is somehow more appropriate than the individuals you represent means you are no longer representing them. And almost every political party in the world to this day has that problem, be it whatever culture, civilization, continent, or minority thereof. The individuals have given their voice up lazily to the collectives, and then those collectives have come together to agree upon a single individual or group, small group of individuals that somehow make up the so unbelievably diverse view set of the population of six to seven billion people that, oh yeah, they'll figure it out. No, they're not going to fucking figure it out. They're fucking morons because they think they're better than you. They think they understand better than you, that they're smarter than you, more intelligent. And you know what? In some cases they might be. I'm not arguing that fact. Yes. Yes, it's absolutely possible to be more intelligent or wiser or more educated, but it doesn't mean you're better. It doesn't mean you have the right to rule. That's the problem with the cultural norm of what we see in today's society. It's this idea that you're entitled. You know, we, we constantly like, oh, the kids these days are entitled. No, the adults are entitled too. Oh, the boomers and the millennials. No, you're all fucking entitled. And you need to stop being so. Because entitlement ruins everything for everyone. Because the idea of entitlement goes all the way back to the ruling parties thinking, oh, I was born into this and I am entitled to it. That's not true. And if that is true, if you do believe that's true, you don't believe in humanity. You believe in subsets. You believe in Caucasian. You believe in Hispanic. You believe in African. You believe in Chinese. You believe in Japanese. You believe in Indian. You believe in the divination or the, I'm sorry, the divisions of humanity. You believe in the subsets. You don't believe humanity is a collective as a whole and can prosper and be a species. We are not earthlings. We're just cattle. Some of us have black and white stripes. So there us have black blotches. Some of us are solid brown. Some of us have long horns. Some of us have uh, red fuzzy fur. 
Super cute, by the way. If you've never seen a, a Scottish Highlander, it's a, a breed of cow. Cutest cow in the world. Scotland, I give it up to you. You have bred the cutest cow. You got it. That's the one. Scottish Highlanders. Cute as can be. But if you believe in those divisions, you don't believe in humanity. And that's my argument. My argument is that humanity doesn't exist anymore. And we have to come to that revelation because in order to create earth beings, or what we consider homo sapien or humans, to have humanity, to have a cultural collective, we need to start with the individual. And that's why I, I'm so adamant about people building their self-awareness and getting control of their mental health because the game's on and it's been on for a while. The war is constant. You are at war by the moment you were born right now. And that war is a, a war for your vote, a war for your voice. They want it. They need it. And they got to go. And they know who they are. But the collective hasn't woken up to the idea that, oh, wait, I am an individual. And depending on your belief structures, that comes with a lot. And even if you don't have any belief structures, if you're more towards like what I am, where I change my mind on stuff constantly, and I look for new definitions and, and ideas, and I, I believe in more than just a single religious viewpoint. I believe in everyone's religion. I, I'm polytheistic. I believe in everyone's God. I believe that the human mind has more power than we think it does. I believe that we should explore these things instead of just kind of throw them to the side. And the fact that you don't exhaustively scientifically look at something means that you just, well, you're wrong. If you're not willing to give it the time of research, then you don't get to have a full opinion on it. You, you mean, well, you don't get to have a full definition on it. You can have an opinion and be like, eh, I don't really believe in that. But unless it's been exhaustively studied, exhaustively studied, then you don't get to say it doesn't exist. We're finding out almost every day that the Big Bang Theory is probably not correct. We're finding every day that all of these things that we've just collectively been like, oh, well, the, the scientists must be smarter than us. That must be true. It's not just like when the politician stands up there and says, Oh yeah, we should, uh, we should pass this $1.2 trillion bill. Great fucking idea. Should we really, should we really, should we? Cause uh, like 300 of you came up with this idea. I'm sorry. I guess it's more than that. whatever the numbers are, but 150 of you didn't, didn't think the other 150 were correct. Like, is a 51% margin really how we want to go about this? I get how it's supposed to work. I really do. I've, I've studied it. But like, if we're constantly in the world of 51% and that 51% was just because 1% got bought out, the 1% one, the 1 that was corruptible on their viewpoint was just like, yeah, you know, I'll flip sides, whatever. Uh, it's going to cost you, throw a, throw a billion in there for uh, my constituents and we'll call it a day. That's not governance. That's fucking the sum leading the many into a disastrous end. Or if it's, oh, you know, the politicians think uh, and the scientists say that global warming is a thing. Well, no, we've kind of proven that wrong. Oh, well, well, well uh, it's climate change. Yeah, we got this issue with climate change. Do we? 
do we really have an issue with climate change when all of the people, every single fucking one of them is flying on a jumbo jet to the conference in some ridiculously sized building that's costing a ton of money and carbon processing to heat so that they can all be warm and toasty at their meeting that they just flew their jets to and drove 30 car trains to so that they could be like, Oh yeah, well we got a huge problem with this, uh, these gas, these CO2 emissions, that whole group of individuals trying to figure that out has expelled more CO2 emissions in one meeting for a week than most towns do in a year. Think about that. You're going to believe those people? No, it's fucking stupid. Stop giving your voice over to these, these idiots that just think they're better than you or smarter than you and can rule you. Stop doing that. And I'm not saying you need to go out and cause warfare of your own. What I'm saying is you need to look at the idea of humanity and you need to define what humanity is to you. Is humanity a prosperous idea of being better, being sympathetic, being compassionate, everyone getting a, a you know a fair deal? Is that what you think humanity is? Or is humanity just another warring species destroying itself for the betterment of some? Because that's what they think they are. Is it a collective or is it an individual? Are you a human, a part of humanity, or are you just humanity? We got, we got to figure it out. We have to decide. And we get to decide for ourselves because I think it's the individual. I think the individual has more power. And I don't think anyone wants you to believe that. Everything I've seen, even from the mystery schools and the things that, you know, alchemy and all these things that I talk about, I don't believe they thought that. I think they thought that, yeah, some people should have access to some information and some people shouldn't. And that's just, it's just an outdated idea. Because the reality is some people will make amazing things out of the information if we give it to them. And some people just won't. See, people are self-policing that way because they're still tribal by nature. So even though you give everyone access to the same information, the lazy are going to be lazy. The stupid are going to be stupid. Then you're going to have a, a subset of stupid people who are like, man, I'm really tired of being stupid. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll educate myself. Okay, well, I have access to all this information, just like everybody else. And then they do educate themselves. And then they get their kids to educate themselves. And then all of a sudden we have a world full of educated people who understand morals and ethics and the dilemma of being a human and this idea that there is a thing called mental health. It's part of being a human to have this conscious stream of thought that we have to deal with every day. And we can accept the idea that everyone's different. Everyone's viewpoint is their own and it's, it's so complicated that it is unintelligible. It's not understand. You can't understand it. And then maybe we get to be a civilization known as humanity that do great things. That travel the stars or at the very least just have a prosperous life for as many people as possible. Cause yeah, some people are going to suffer no matter what. 
And that all comes down to belief structures of, you know, people who want to believe that they were reincarnated here to learn something and that they're going to choose the incarnation that best lets them understand something in the divine karmic idea of, you know, whatever they want to believe in for reincarnation or that they're born into a world that will better, better let them understand the divine nature of the God that they will eventually exalt themselves to go see when they die. All sorts of stuff. Or it could be the individual who's a pagan and believes that they were born here to find the route in which to best understand where they should be buried to recultivate the tree of life. It's so diverse. It's so unfathomable. So many things out there that we need to understand that humanity is a big idea. And we have to navigate that as an individual. And then those individuals can come together in whatever size groups they want to. The family unit, the close friends unit, one or two close acquaintances, the homebody couple that just is a couple together because they get through life together. The individual who is antisocial and just wants to be left alone to do their thing. The giant group of people who love to go watch sports together, whatever it is. It's, it's no longer okay to define humanity as a group because we were never a collective. We were never a group. We were a, a species who warred and we still war to this day. You're born into it. We're, in, we're at war right now and you don't even know it. You can call it a spiritual war. You can call it, we're at war. Because we have irreconcilable beliefs that we can't just leave irreconcilable. We, for some reason, think, or some of us, I should say, have this idea that their way is the right way and no other way should be able to exist. That's closed-minded thinking. The reason things are irreconcilable is because people can't be like, I'm just going to agree to disagree. Oh, well really affect me that much? No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't change your life. It doesn't change your life. What will change your life is when you realize, oh, you know what? They don't need to believe in what I believe in. doesn't matter because you don't have to fear anything from them. Right now, we have to fear things from people who don't believe in the shit we believe in. We've made that readily apparent. The government's made it apparent. Other cultures and civilizations have made it. It's just the, the, the some leading the many have made it readily apparent that for some reason it's not okay to not agree. And if you don't agree, it's dangerous. Ooh, it's dangerous. Someone doesn't agree with you. They might come, you know, hurt you or trying to hurt you or that's, that's preposterous. We don't live in that world anymore. We don't live in the world of antiquity where, yeah, if you pissed off somebody, they could get away with just coming and killing you and no one would know. That's not a world we live in anymore. We live in a world of community and a whole. And like, if someone goes missing, we're going to like look for them. And like, that's the idea of a civilization is to come together and to be more secure as a culture and as a, as a civilized order so that those things wouldn't occur. This whole defund the police bullshit. 
No, reform the police, not defund them. Don't completely get rid of the idea of civilization where we came together and we're like, oh, hey, we should have this group of people that their entire job is to make sure everyone gets to go home and not have to worry about locking their doors every day. And that, you know, that if a wild animal, if a fucking bear walks into the, you know, camp in the middle of the night, they'll see it and be like, hey, everybody, there's a bear. We got to, you know, protect the children. That's what the idea of policing started as. It was a group of individuals, guards. They would stand at the walls or they would walk around the perimeter of the civilization or be at tents or fucking houses. And they'd be like, hey, is everything cool, secure? No one's invading? Awesome. There's no bears. There's no wolves. Oh, there's a turtle. That's cute. Maybe I'll cram that and give it to so-and-so's kid because they like turtles. That was the idea of policing. Or to stop so-and-so from like getting drunk, and getting pissed off and killing someone else. Like that was the idea of policing. We've gotten away from that, obviously. So yes, we need to reform, but not defund. That's not, that's not the answer. We should defund the war fucking populace is what we should do. If you want to stop waging wars, take war money away from like collectively, just no, nope, stop. Nope. And any, and then just put sanctions on cultures that are, but we can't, right? See, it gets complicated. I know it gets complicated. Humanity's made it complicated. So how do you uncomplicate it? I do it. I'm, I'm getting there, getting to the point. How do you uncomplicate it? You uncomplicate it by educating the individual and making the individuals aware of what's going on and making them responsible for being an individual, which is what I'm telling you you are now responsible for. From this point on, I'm holding everyone responsible for being an individual. Your thoughts are your thoughts. Your actions are your actions. No more of this, I just did it because I was part of the collective. Nope. That's what we have to get rid of. We've given everybody a free pass card by being like, oh, I got swept up in the collective. I got, I got, Got swept up in being part of this movement or this, that. No, you chose. If you choose things and take the action, remember, you can make as many choices as you want. As soon as you finality and as soon as there's action, that's decision. I've talked about this before in this podcast. Choice begets change. And the correlation of choices get the change that we want or need. And you should correlate your choices towards that because when you choose something, and make it finite, make it an actual decision, then there's action. And actions, as I've said before, as many people have said before, actions speak louder than words. So if you choose to get caught up in the collective, that's your choice. And you made a decision. And you should be judged upon it. So you better make sure it was the right one for you. Because you, you're responsible for it. We got to stop being like, oh, they weren't, you know, they weren't responsible for, oh, no, no, no. We're not responsible for, you know, this, that, or the other thing. There's a bunch I can say, but because of the structure of how things are right now, you can't say any of this shit. That's, we have to hold the individual responsible. That's the answer. That's the answer. Not the group, not the collective. The individual, they must be held responsible. So you need to start doing that yourself. Hold yourself responsible. And that's part of self-awareness is to have that responsibility of like, am I making the right choices? You should have 
just completely unfathomable choices you should have to make. And they should be tough and they should be hard. Because that means you're making important decisions and there is import. And by having import, you have self. Because self-importance, self-awareness, that's the idea. So I want you to contemplate humanity. I could go on and on about this and I could get really heated about how the ruling classes of today's societies are destroying humanity and how there's, I can get into the woo-woo about like, are we all really human? Who knows? We don't know. We don't actually know because we define humanity by this look structure of like a skin bag that has a conscious stream of thought, but we don't ever challenge that in any way. There's this whole belief in things like star seeds and reincarnations and all sorts of stuff like that. We don't talk about it though, because it's too weird. It's too out there. Can't, how, how do we reconcile that? Well, we reconcile it by the individual thinking about it and going, Ooh, wait a minute. What is humanity? Am I human? Do I want, do you want to be human? Do you want to be human? Do you want to be a part of what we're doing right now? Is this really the way you want humanity to like, if a thousand years from now, we somehow still exist. Do you, do you want to be a part of this history book writing? Do you want to be a part of the three pages they're going to write about the 2020s? What do you want them to write about? Or go even farther than that. Another thought experiment. What if we are not alone in the universe? What if there actually are aliens? Totally plausible. Not saying it's, I'm not saying it's factual. I'm just saying it's plausible. We don't know. We don't know. We honestly don't know. And if we do know, we probably should share that information at this point because I think it would help some people put some things in perspective. But like, what if there are other intelligent species out there? And what if they're not like us? What if they are a more peaceful civilization? You know what they would do? They would look at us and be like, we got to steer clear. Oh man, if they find out about it, they're, they're going to eat us. They find out about us, they're going to fucking take over. Like, we're warmongers to them. That's what we are. Like, look at what they do to themselves. You know those things that they have cannibal crabs? It's a huge thing. Um, Is it Australia? I think it's in Australia. They have a migration period of cannibal crabs. And they call them cannibal crabs because they will eat each other. And we look at them and we're like, look at this creature destroying itself for, you know, its own personal gain and just like, oh, I can't believe it would eat itself, eat another crab to kind of, you know, make its way. Like, that's how another galactic culture or civilization would look at us and be like, um, they kill each other regularly. What do you think they're going to do to us? That's how they would look at us. Take that perspective just for one day. One day. Just suspend all disbelief if you can and look at how an outside perspective, a divine being, a God, um, an entity, a space cow, a Furby sitting on the shelf, a character from a story that we've written about, just anything outside of what you would consider humanity. Another galactic civilization, a, a civilization from another planet, an observer out in the universe, the moon looking at us, if the moon was an entity, any other outside perspective. 
preferably outside of earth itself, because you can look at the cat perspective and it'll be funny or the dog perspective and it'd be funny, but an outside perspective, watching the earth, watching what we call quote unquote humanity. What would you think about us? Even using your own perspective, take the time to have that contemplation in your head. If you were your own perspective, but like remove yourself from humanity, put yourself as, you know, somebody from Jupiter, Mars, or another solar system, watching the collective culture of humanity, these earthlings, as you will, or as you may, interacting with each other over the course of the history in which we have and continue to do so at this point. How would you judge us? How, what would you think about us? What would you, how would you describe us to another person or another culture? Imagine if you had to do that. You know what they would all do in my eyes, my thought process. We got to fucking avoid these people. Look at them. Look at what they do. Kill each other, rule each other, degrade each other. Couldn't care less about the person next to them. Constantly out for their own self-worth, their own self. I'm not saying self's bad, but I'm just, from an outside perspective, that's what it looks like. It looks like humanity is just a violent creature. Completely wrapped up in the idea of destroying itself. That's what, if I was going to fight a war against humanity, I'd wait. If I had the time, I'd wait. If I had to fight a war against humanity and I had the time, I'd just wait. If I was like, man, I really want that planet, but I don't need it like right now, just eventually I like, I'd like to, you know, I'd like my species to take over that planet at some point. We don't need it. We don't really need the resources right now. There's plenty of planets out here, but like eventually we'd like that one. It's kind of nice. looks green. It's lush, kind of beautiful. It's got some interesting animals on it. You know what I would do? I would just wait. I would just wait. That's how you fight the war against humanity. You just wait. We'll just we'll destroy ourselves. We have time and time again. We just breed really quickly and then we come back. Kind of like we're kind of like insects that way. We're kind of like viruses that way. We're kind of like a virus, actually. The way we replicate and somehow make it out in the end. But like from a martialist standpoint, if I had to fight a war against humanity itself, even if I was inside of it right now, I'm talking about a side reel outside the planet of you, just come down to the planet. Now think about how you would fight a warfare against humanity. I'd wait. Eventually this, this civilization will destroy itself. We actively try all the time. We're in a state of war constantly. We're moments away from a shooting war at any point in time, in any place in the world. At any point in time, any one of the superpowers could be like, hmm, I think it's time. I think it's time we took over. I think it's time we make, we make a push. We try. Any point in time, that can happen. We live in that reality. We live in that world right now as humanity, as a whole. And there are many superpowers pushing towards it because they'd like it to happen because they think that would be prosperous for them. Specifically the ones that would just like stay out of it and just wait, click, pick up the pieces. Oftentimes when we think about warfare as a martialist, 
we will say they who strike first dies first. There's another subset of an idea to that. Those who fight on the fringes live. Those who watch the fringes prosper. So we'll just take a take any antiquity war, what I'm you know swords and spears that type of warfare. If you were on the front lines, you're most likely dead. If you were the clashing of the front line, chances are you died. That's just soldiers, foot soldiers, even cavalry, you know, initial shock cavalry, probably going to die. If not their first battle, like for anyone to survive more than two or three engagements, nearly unheard of. You know, even with the advent of medicine and, and those types of things, Probably still not. Like one wound was pretty much fatal. A big enough wound was fatal because you either bleed out or dysentery or all these other different things. So don't be on the front lines, obviously. That was a bad idea if you wanted to survive. So fight on the fringes. Okay, like you would, you know, archers, good, you know, fight on the fringes. But even then, if your front line dissolved, and uh, or uh, a shock cavalry came out from the flank, you're probably done for. Then there was those who watched the fringes. And these are the individuals who were of an outside party or the thieves and looters. Those th- They would just watch and wait for the battle to be over. That's what they did. They survived. The individuals who do that the most that I give the most respect to the humanitarian aid. Because throughout history, there's always been a part of the populace who provided aid after the battle. It's been an un... un, I don't know. like I think just about every... Yeah, every battle I can think of. Every cultural reference throughout all of history, there's always been a subset of the populace that like what we call now like the Red Cross or the Medics that provided medical aid or just clean up to the battle in that factor. And people didn't fuck with them. That was just kind of part of it. Like every culture has had this go to like the Renaissance or the, I'm sorry, warring state periods. Uh, all of these ancient, even to today's populace where like we have like medical aid until until World War II. And eh, no, even World War I. The First World War was really when that idea collapsed. And it's, I mean, they wrote the Accords to say, like, no, you, you know, you can't shoot this. Like, we literally had it, it was collective idea that you wouldn't kill the medics, you wouldn't kill the people who came after the battle to help the wounded. You wouldn't kill them. That was that was against proper warfare. Which is odd to think that we have rules of laws of warfare. But those people would be left alone. And then World War One happened and they were killed by the dozen. They were gassed. They were just not. And that's, you know. Then we had to write rules about if you're gonna fight war, mm, you shouldn't be allowed to do these things. Think about that. As a humanity, as a whole, as a collective, we had to write rules of warfare because we won't stop doing it. 
We didn't just sit down and go, you know what? This is bad. We should stop killing each other. Couldn't figure that out. It's like individuals who incite violence. And I'm, I'm going to try to wrap up here, I promise. With this idea of humanity and, and taking your time to think about like what your perspective on humanity would be. The individuals who I find that incite violence the most are those who have never had violence put upon them. That's As a bouncer, it was very easy to pick out the person who'd never actually been in a fight, who'd never actually been hit, or whose parents never beat the shit out of them when they were kids. And I'm not condoning that in any way. But like never got into like a, like a, a slug out fest or never even experienced like a violent trauma, like a car crash or anything like that. People who experience violence to a heavy level shy away from violence because it's fucking horrid. I'm not saying go out and get punched in the face, but it fucking sucks. Had it happen to me multiple times. Been in a, a really bad car accident when I was 18. Fucked my life up and fucked some other people's lives up. And I had to reconcile that I was the driver. I ruined two other individuals' lives. Yes, as far as I know, they've both prospered since. But in that time frame, at that moment, I as the driver was responsible for ruining years of individuals lives did they they both made it out in the end they survived they didn't you know obviously didn't die but they both had bad bone breaks that changed their lives forever i was responsible for that to this day i struggle with living with that idea you know some people would say like oh phil it really wasn't your fault no it was my fucking fault i was a driver i was the one responsible lapse of judgment accident change two people's lives. In the end, the judgment is, was it for the better or was it for the worse? I'll never know. Because I'll never know what their lives could have been like had I not done that, had I not paid enough attention to keep the accident from happening. That, even before that, probably why that hit me so hard was because even before that, growing up in a family where I had to watch my parents beat my siblings, beat them. At one point, I remember watching my brother bleed. And as a young child, to see that amount of violence enacted upon another human being, even that alone was enough to not make me want to be violent. My entire martialist career has been a one of pacifism. If I need to act, if I absolutely needed to act, I can act violently. There's no question that I could just kill someone easily. Barely have to try. I know pressure points. I know, I know where to push on someone's throat and not even the throat, it's the, actually the jawline. Where to push on someone's jawline to break what's known as a stylus process where your masseters connect so that you'd have to wire their jaw shut because their bones, the muscles that help them chew wouldn't work anymore. So their jaw would just hang open. And it's almost impossible to fix that. It's nearly impossible to fix that. I know where that is. That's, I've trained Dimmock, the pressure point fighting system where, you know, they tout the old, the historical references for like 
you know, oh, you, you strike someone and then they die later. No, that's an actual real thing. You can create a pulmonary embolism in someone that will create a blood clot in the area. And then eventually that blood clot will dislodge itself and turn into either a heart failure or a stroke. That's a real thing. It's possible to do. I was taught how to do it. I looked how to do it. But I'm a pacifist, which means I don't want to do violence because I've seen the extent of violence. And as a bouncer, I watched many people incite violence who had never had violence acted upon them. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to have violence acted upon them, but they need to understand it. And that comes down to the individual because humanity hasn't figured it out. Humanity as a whole has not come to the consensus that these things are wrong. We shouldn't do these things to people. There's no reason to do this. We're technologically, we're not even technologically advanced. We're technology required civilization. We as a species require technology to live. We need clothing. We need shelter. We need heat. These are all technologies. We require technologies to win. Monkeys have fur. We don't have fur. We will not, unless we live around the equator. But even then, it's possible that it would become too cold and that we wouldn't survive. So we are, in order to be the species and to have the civilizations we have, we require technology. But we spend the most amount of money on creating technology to kill each other. Regularly. So my challenge is that of humanity. What is it? How do you define it? How would you look at it from an outside perspective? Do you agree with it? Would you like to change it? How would you change it? How do you see yourself inside of it? What is your individual perspective on humanity? How do you define humanity as the individual? How, how do you go about being human? Do you want to be human? Would you rather just not be included in this debacle known as humanity as it is now? Because if not, we should probably change that, right? Like, you know, we are earthlings. We are a species of earth. So how do you go about those things? How do you see those things? How do you see yourself collectively inside of that? How do you get your voice back from the collective? Have you given up your voice to the collective? Is it time for you to take that back? I think it's time for you to take it back. If you've done that, I'm not, it's okay. Look, I'm not, I'm not harping on you. If you, if you've let your voice be taken and given to the collective, it wasn't your fault. You were coerced into that at this point. I, I can almost wholeheartedly say you were probably coerced into that. But remember what I say about ignorance. It's okay to be ignorant. Absolutely fine. It means you're uneducated. But once you're aware, it's not okay to be willfully ignorant. So if I'm making you aware that your voice has been stripped from you and given to an individual and or given to the collective and it is no longer your own, it is now a bad thing to be, continue to be ignorant and not take your voice back. I'm not saying you need to use it. I'm not saying you need to shout and yell and... But you need to make it your own again. You have to become an individual. Because if we don't collectively become individuals, we will collectively destroy ourselves because that's the trajectory we are headed on. That's just my own two cents. 
doesn't mean shit. Remember, I'm not a professional. I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose, prescribe. I'm not a professional in any way. I'm just an idiot on the internet, and you should do your own research. What I really want you to do is I want you to think. That's all this is about. It's just take some time to think, look at it from a different perspective, and make your own decisions on humanity. In the meantime, I'm going to go make my own because right now, I don't think we're going in the right direction. I think humanity's it's kind of shitty, kind of doomed. But I think we have the, the ability to change. That's, I, you know, I don't hold on to hope, but if, you know, if someone's seeking hope, man, the one thing humanity can do is change. We are so good at all. Oh, we're amazing at change. So if we need to make some changes, we can. Now there's, now's the time. We do that individually. Starts with the individual. Every major important movement that's ever happened, good or bad, whatever connotation you want to put on them, started with an individual deciding to make change. What change do you want to see? Gandhi, right? Be the change you want to see in the world. What changes would you like to see? How can you how can you start as an individual to make those changes? How can you act individually to stand up to tyranny, to stand up to other things that have been kind of put down upon us? I think that's a good place to start, to redefine humanity. Because ultimately, this whole long rant has been on the fact that I think it's time to redefine us, to redefine human culture, to redefine humanity, what it is to be a human because we've tried the whole, oh, it'll be great. It's flowery and fluffy in the end. And we never made it. We didn't quite make it there. So it's better to have a realistic opinion and start with the individual. So where do you want to start? And how can you use that to better define yourself? Because it's, again, it's often a great example to look in the mirror or to look at the collective to better understand ourselves. So if you don't want to be what we're calling humanity, you don't want to be what we're doing now. Don't be you, be your own self and take the time to figure out like where the differentiations there are so you can better have a better understanding of your mental health. Cause when you eliminate that idea that, Oh, you're just a part of this shitty cultural crap show known as humanity that just kills each other all the time for no, you know, there is no real good reason ever, but you know, you're just a part of that again, you're giving it up to the collective. You can get a better mental health perspective by just becoming the individual again and being like, whoa, 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 I don't agree with some of that stuff. That's not me. And then have self-awareness, create self, self-idea, restabilize your mental health and have a better understanding of it. So go do that. Go contemplate humanity. And uh, I'll be here for the next one. If you do get a chance, please check us out. It always says it in the outro, but taminghindrances.com. Uh, check out the archive. There's some stuff there you can, you know, reference and go look at to maybe get different perspectives on stuff or leave us a review. There's also um, product reviews for getting better sleep, uh, for sleep products to get better sleep, a whole bunch of stuff. You know, we constantly try to update the website as much as possible. So please check it out and leave us a review if you get time. Um, we like to read them on the podcast. We don't get enough of them to do so yet, but maybe one day. Other than that, take care. And I'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, 
Don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. But go be awesome. And just remember to breathe.